When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know. David Koresh had a little more respect than I think Charles Xavier would for people. <laughs> he treated children better. I'll tell you, he treated teenagers better, I think. <laughs> the one where he defends David Koresh, that's the one, that's the one that gets canceled. I'm that's the cold opening. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. Fatal Attractions. No, I am not talking about the film from 1987 starring Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. I'm not talking about that. And no, I'm not talking about the sordid Jonathan Hickman-fueled relationship between Scott Summers, Cyclops, Jean Grey, and Wolverine. Although this is X-Men related because I am talking about the story we're going to be looking at today. The story called X-Men Fatal Attractions, the big X-Men crossover from the 90s. Uh, of course, to look at that story, I have, as always, my partner in comic book crime, the rambling man himself, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, what's up? When you said fatal attractions at the beginning, I thought you were discussing my love life in college. <laughs> you know, these things can have dual meanings. Yeah. That's Sometimes sure. it works out that way. Is there a story here? None know? worth discussing. Oh, yeah. That's the, and that's the whole, and that's, and the, that's the only answer you're getting. <laughs> This is in many ways going to be a continuation uh, from the very first episode of this podcast. So if you are a newer listener and you have not spent, you know, two weeks or however, however long it would take you to go through our archives from the last almost a year now, we're coming up in a year. Uh, I highly recommend at least going back to episode one. Of course, we were still getting our our uh, comic book podcasting druthers together. I don't know if we were the quite the polished host that we are now, 47, 48 episodes later, whatever it may be. But check that one out first and you'll get the more of the backstory of what we're going to dive into today. Before we do that, Remzo, got any housekeeping going on? Housekeeper? Well, folks, I mean, come on. We we give you so much during this show alone, but we give you so much more because you demand it. We've got Loki recaps following the Disney Plus series. We've got Remso Rands every week. We've got Clarice Continues. We've got so much more with us and friends of the Second Print Nation. We've got, uh, are we still doing the giveaway? I think we're still doing the giveaway. Oh, doing the giveaway. Explain the giveaway. The, uh- a running list will be kept. So as I get through the issues, uh, as I mentioned before, I, I brought a few books, just a, a small selection of books from a box at my comic book stash in Connecticut. Uh, this is what we have dubbed the fuck it pile. It's a bunch of books, no bags, no boards, who knows how they even got in there, but I've been reading those books and I will be giving those books away to new patrons as I do so. So just all the more reason to support us for as little as a measly five bucks a month, less than a, less than a grande frappuccino at Starbucks, at least after California. Oh, 
Um, not that I, I know. Yeah, I mean, not that you know about that. And I also want to go ahead and give a shout out to this month's um, Epic Crossover Level patrons. Derek, Maurice, if you're listening to this, I've got your stuff in front of me right now. It's all packaged and ready to go. I'll be dropping it off at the post office at the $25 level or higher, folks. You not only get all the perks from the previous tiers, but you get hand-selected graphic novels from Mark and myself. It's like a book club for awesome people that like comics. You're not going to find a better deal in the business. Well, you might. You, I guess you could just buy the books yourselves, but there's no fun I in will that. Fight, I will fight that. people <laughs> who say that they give a better deal than we do at that level. Uh, I will as well, actually. I think that's a pretty To the idea. death. Uh, but to the death. We not only tell you about comics, we will actually give you comics and select them for you to read them. So we will do all the work for you. Uh, all You can find all this over at Patreon again patreon.com slash second print pod it helps us fund doesn't help us it funds the show fully so that neither Remzo or, or I need to sweat any of this as money off our back so we are internally grateful to our patrons and the more we're able to earn on Patreon the more we're going to be able to expand the show the more we're going to be able to do new episodes start doing interviews uh, just you know it's all in your hands people at the end of the day we will respond and if we don't get $500 a month by the end of 2021 I will go out into the middle of international waters and shoot a whale in the face. Wow. Well, to prevent this complete act of environmental terrorism, but again, another reason to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash second print pod. But I think that's enough shilling for now. Hashtag so save Shamu. <laughs> hashtag save Shamu. Join the second print Patreon. That's a long hashtag, but what are you going to do? Uh, it's time to dive in, Remzo. And this one, uh, well, before I dive into this this particular crossover, I'll, I'll just give the backstory for myself as a fan. Uh, I believe this was 94 by the time this came out. Uh, it was launching from the the, the 91 X-Men, uh, basically. that that It's still continuing, essentially. A lot of the stories that we looked at in the initial X-Men run, X-Men number one through three, uh, with our by, of course, Jim Lee, who left that book right away after number three, I believe. Uh, but uh, we looked at that again, like I said, in issue number... Oh, I'm doing it again. I'm Motherfucker. In an episode one of this podcast. Uh, and in that boy, I'll give you the 30-second the recap, basically. Uh, Magneto comes back. He's a bad guy. This is what happened in X-Men number one. Uh, he has this group of acolytes that essentially follow him, follow him to the extreme. Uh, the X-Men end up confronting him on his asteroid, Asteroid M. In this process, we find out that one of the acolytes, known as Fabian Cortez, was actually sort of messing with Magneto using his powers. And he actually sort of turned on Magneto. And at the end of that, they believe Magneto had died. Of course, this is comic, so Magneto did in fact not die. He was hiding about uh, coming up with a whole new plan of his own. So uh, ah, I think that about covers X-Men 1, 2, 3 in the, in the shortest way possible. Basically. All right. Well, that being said, we now dive into Fatal Attractions. And when I was uh, a young Buck comic book fan in 1994 or so, I was into any any gimmick that these companies could come out with that with like a flashy cover or a huge crossover. Like I was in. This is why I mowed lawns. This is why I walked people's dogs. It was all so I could put all my money into whatever gimmicky crap these comic book companies came up with to hawk to me. And a hawk they did and buy I did. So if there was a cool glossy cover, I was in. If there was a crossover, I was in. And in this case, we had both. This is a huge crossover that spent and over six different X-Men titles and each title was giant size with this like hologram cover on them. Uh, this, this special like little hologram card and like wrap around cover. So they really went out of their way to make this a big event. Why? Because 
of suckers like me who are gonna who are gonna pay. And this is a lot because I actually pay. This is the same price. The cover price, at least of X Men number twenty five. Um, is $3.95. Now that's what I pay today, this year, for every issue of Savage Dragon. That's crazy in, in 1994. Because I think at that time most books were, I think they were still at the 125 at that point. Uh so to pay $3.95 for a book, I mean that was that was serious business. That was like like about three times the normal price that I would pay. Uh but here I was doing it, slaving away, mowing lawns, doing everything I could to afford all these books because there's no way I was going to miss it. And DC had this gimmick in like 2011, 2012 where they were sending out like these giant posters to stores to give away of fans. And it was like a big, you know, a a big, a a big, uh, a a big, basically it it was, it was a big, big poster. And it showed all the main DC characters, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, like everyone from DC. And what they had was them standing on like this giant mountain that was basically these letters that spelled out drawing the line at two ninety nine because this is when all the books were like three ninety nine or more at that point and DC was like all of our main books will stay at two ninety nine and they did this whole until they, they don't. until they don't they did that whole campaign for a year and then DC was like yeah the line is broken and now everything <laughs> is just so freaking expensive I grabbed I, I grabbed Berserker issue two the other day. <laughs> And that thing's like seven dollars, and it's just like this That's is crazy, the, like why you can't blame inflation. Slap Keanu Reeves on a book, and you know you can charge. I mean, I want. bought it, so it's like you know who's the fool, but it's also like come on, there, you can't just blame outside factors for every price increase. <laughs> I feel like there's something more at play here. There may be something more, but who play. knows? But. But we're not going to yeah. get into that today, are we? Probably not. Anyway, and the Fed. Good, moving on. Uh, we're going to start off with X Factor number 92. So this, again, like I said, this crossed over from six different books. So it was basically one giant size issue on um, on each different book. There were basically six mutant titles at this time. There may have even been more. But uh, the, the main six, well, there was the four team books. Or actually, no, it was the five team books. My God. It was five team books plus Scott and Gene. <laughs> Wait, was that a book? Or Cy- it was either Scott and Gene or Cyclops and Phoenix. Yeah, I, th- I do seem to recall a Cyclops and Phoenix series. There was even a Storm series that came out around this time. Uh, that might have been a miniseries. But yeah, there, were, there was a lot. There was a Gambit miniseries at one point. I mean, I think they were doing miniseries with all these characters on top of all these books. But you had the main books were X-Factor, X-Force, X-Caliber, X-Men, and Uncanny X-Men. And then we also have a Wolverine thrown in, in this mix as well. So there's six different giant size issues. Some of them make sense of, of being like special issues. Like, for example, you have X-Force 25, kind of a, a milestone issue. X, X-Men number 25. Others seem more random. Excalibur number 70, 71 is like promoted as a big issue here. So it was really just an excuse to celebrate the, the 25th issue 25 of the new X-Men and the new X-Force that were kind of happening simultaneously while pumping up them prices, getting little kissed kids suckers like me to buy all them holograms and uh and make some money and make money i presume they did here because this is still really in the heyday of when marvel was just raking in the money of all these x books i hope you kept those but uh yeah i still have all these at home i have every single one of these um i don't think they're worth even more than cover price though i could be wrong about that but uh, they're worth something to you sentimentally they are, worth the memories uh, that's why I don't have them anywhere near me. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, we start off with X Factor number 92. This one is written by Scott Lobdell, who has written just a ton of X books, uh, and especially around this time. Uh, I think he's writing like half of these books. And art by J.M. DeMattis and 
Joe Casada, he's back after we just looked at a Joe Casada book uh, with Ninjak just a couple episodes ago. So uh, before I get into this, Remzo, had you read this particular crossover before you prepared for this episode? Yes, I was in Florida. I was at my uncle Brody's place. Shout out to my uncle Brody, and there was a really box label. I remember where you were. I, I, I remember it was it was in 2006 in July 2006, and I had just moved back to the United States from Australia. And literally, I opened up this box in the garage, and what do I see? I see spoiler alert, Mac. Well, it's not even a spoiler alert. It's on the cover. Um, Wolverine getting his his adamantium pulled out of him by Magneto. And I just remember looking at this. I'm like, I remember this from the X-Men cartoon. And after that, everything changed. So yeah, I've got some fond memories. Indeed. All right. Well, let's dive right into them uh, again. X-Factor 92, Scott Lobdell, Jan DeManis and Joe Casada. We start with the aforementioned in my little Brief recap there, the Acolytes, who are in this hospital in Mont, Mont, no, Wontog, Virginia. How close did you used to live to, to Wontog? Is that even a real place? Wontog is not a real place. All right. That ends I've, been to, I've been to every place in Virginia except <laughs> South Boston along the Virginia-North Carolina South border. Boston? Yes, it, it, makes, Boston? it makes no sense. It's the most dangerous place. We called it our Chicago, so... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I never went there. Uh, yeah, but these acolytes are at the hospital and they are there for one reason, and that is to kill flat scans. They are just literally at a hospital slaughtering human patients who are there, you know, being treated for whatever. So this is uh, just p- pure terrorism because they, they are on a, a terrorism spree here. Now, uh, these acolytes are being led uh, entirely by Fabian Cortez. So this this kind of action, well, we'll see later if this is the kind of thing Magneto would directly approve of or not. Uh, uh, but uh, now they are being fully led by Fabian Cortez. They don't have the, uh, you know, and Magneto is, is one of my favorite villains because he's he's a thoughtful villain. Even if he's doing the wrong thing, he always really feels like he's doing the right thing. And he always does try to morally justify his actions. Whereas Fabian Cortez to me uh, is more of just a, you know, more of a schemer, swarmy sort of like he's in it more for the power. Whereas Magneto is in it more for the actual morality about around behind what he believes he's doing. Fabian's like literally like an Osama bin Laden character. Like he will, he he will get down and do like, yeah, basically. It's not long uh, after uh, this one guy is pretty. I, actually, I really like this one acolyte. It's called Senyaka. He looks really cool. He's got this like this uh, sort of like energy rope that he's uh, choking this nurse with. Right as they're in this hospital, Havoc and uh, Pietro and Quicksilver, they are like interviewing this nurse uh, about what had happened. This is basically was well, that first scene was kind of like a flashback to that. Um, so they're talking to this nurse, and uh, you know he's saying, "Look, all all mutants aren't bad. Like those guys. Like don't worry, we're we're the good guys here." And I, I should give a little back story like at this point x factor is um they're basically like the government uh mutant team uh, essentially so the government basically in, in an attempt to take a little bit of a new direction not to be so antagonistic with the mutants uh they formed x factor as sort of their mutant representation so they were going to have their own mutant team to sort of you know try to uh, heal the gap bridge the divide uh use this team as their front for dealing with mutant issues kind of instead of sending you know non-mutants after mutants and you know causing more tension and, and hashtag to 
token mutants. We see Fabian Cortez. He is uh, residing in the remains of the Russian submarine, the Leningrad, which I believe was taken down by uh, Magneto. That's an event that uh, I think occurred. I think it occurred in that X-Men number one that we read. Basically, this female acolyte, she was watching. Uh, she was overseeing like H- Havoc and um, uh, what was her name? Uh, the government liaison, I think Valerie is her name. Havoc, Valerie, and Petro were in that hospital kind of investigating what had happened. She has crazy powers, so she can just you know, swim down into the ocean and phase in or whatever her her power is uh and she goes and just kind of reports on what was going on to uh, fabian cortez yeah and i wrote fabian cortez who i guess lives underwater now um but that's uh, a yeah. thing now accept and, it right and uh basically they're saying that um that um yeah they were they were pretty upset by, by what the acolytes did as you might imagine and we see that x-factor has uh they have one of the acolytes as a prisoner and this acolyte is spore he basically looks like chewbacca that that, that is uh that is his deal also That's i just want to go it. through who who is our x-factor team here and let's see i don't think they gave me did they give me a layout in this one i don't think they gave me a layout but let's see basically it's i'll try to do it from just uh this team shot it is is havoc it is strong guy uh it strong, is multiple, yeah strong guy strong guy yep multiple strong man guy. jamie madrox uh wolves bane uh as well as polaris and i think i got them all i could be i might have missed one we'll find out later uh but they are the current makeup of x factor uh they have that they're kind of interrogating this guy spore as a prisoner who he's like chewbacca and who's also wearing like a, one of those hannibal lecter metal masks over his mouth and um basically they're not like in his attitude so havoc just kind of flips out on him and, and just blasts him with his uh with his i don't know what do you call his power his his havoc powers Whatever. it's like you know, it's it's lasers, but unlike his brother, they're not eye lasers. They're like chest lasers, except they don't even really come from his chest either. It's just where his little disc thing is. So he shoots things. Yeah, he shoots things. Comic book things. And uh, yeah, basically, uh, Valerie's like, hey, calm down, calm down, because she's like the government liaison. And she's saying, you know, you can't not like this. You can't you can't just go killing our prisoners here. Uh, he's like, do what I say or I'll have you out of here. And and off this team so fast, even Quicksilver's head will spin. And uh, Spore, when he hears Quicksilver, he's like, he's like, what? the the And, and then you hear Quicksilver's voice from outside. He's like, someone mentioned my name. And Spore is like, it's oh, my God, it's it's the sun. And he immediately bows down to Pietro because Pietro is of course the son of magneto who the acolytes well that is who they are the acolytes of now they are the acolytes of fabian cortez but originally they were the acolytes the followers of magneto so they have a uh, uh almost like a, a religious respect for the son of magneto you are say. you sure it's not ralph boner <laughs> it may be ralph boner they look so similar it's really hard to say um let's see Oh yeah. Oh, and and something else we see. So, um, later we see like the, the X factor team on this mission and they're like, wait, that guy's with us, with us. And it's random. Do you know the character of random Renzo? No, going back and reading, this is probably, I think the first time I really paid attention to him. All right. So basically I don't remember much about random, but I think he was kind of like a, a bounty hunter esque character. But if you remember in the, in the ninja episode, uh, just a couple episodes ago, I, I saw, I thought someone, I don't know why I said Lobo. Cause he really, maybe it was just his skin color. For some reason I thought it was Lobo in the background, but now it makes so much more sense. Cause as soon as I saw this character appear here, I realized, no, it's, and I don't know why I said Lobo cause he actually looks nothing like that, but <laughs> this is random. It was random. That was in the background of this party in the, the mansion in ninja. Ninjak. Uh, and, and clearly that makes sense because Joe Quesada was the artist on Ninjak and Random was a creation of Joe Quesada. And immediately when I saw this, I, I was like, oh yeah, that was Random. Anyway, just a little a little tie in there. 
Everything and, matters. And me admitting a mistake. <laughs> yeah, but uh, let's see. They, uh, well, I got lost here, ranting about random. But um, yeah, they're basically going to this place called uh, Cape Hayden. And they get there and uh, they're confronted by this uh, character named Exodus. And he basically just shows up and they're like, well, he doesn't appear hostile. Uh, he looks like he's just kind of waiting and, and thinking and like there's something he wants to say to us, but he's not sure if it's the right time. And then this guy just flies off. Uh, but but we are we will become aware, more aware of who he is a little later on in the story. And, and uh, Polaris like, should we follow him? And uh, Havoc's like, no, let's just uh, we got other shit going on here. We can't just go follow all these uh, random mutant creatures that appear in front of us, but let's just let's just file that under a mystery, and we'll get to back to that later. I'm like, okay. So uh, basically, they show up at this base and uh, take out some guys, and basically, what we're they're going to the base where they figured out that the this place that I forget what it is, but they they figured out the acolytes are are going to go attack this base, so that's why they went and showed up there. Uh, and then they're kind of realizing, like, wait, or did they mean for us to come here? Like, was this all part of their plan? They're like, probably, but we're gonna do. It, uh, anyway and they show up and they are all shocked when they open this door and they see including random is, is shocked as well they see the sentinels a whole bunch of sentinels including a really scary version of the sentinels There's all, all kind of different generations of of the sentinels here which i really like but they are they are very shocked because x factor you know they were supposed to have shut down the sentinels you know x factor is is uh you know they're supposed to be the kind of like the replacement you know like like this was like the peace offering like all right we don't do sentinels anymore and instead of being antagonistic with mutants we're going to have our own mutant team uh but instead they find out no there have been sentinels here all along uh, I'm sorry so, to tell you this, children, but the government lies. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's that's something comics will always remind you about, which is always always nice. The government lies, and uh, they often lie about what weapons they have and who they're going to use them against, and what their intentions may or may not be. And it is no different here in X Factor. So uh, they are confronting uh, Valerie about this whole thing, and you know she's basically just like you know nah, it's it's called Project Wide Awake, but don't worry, it's just it's just a backup plan. It's just this, it's just some Sentinels we have just in case x-factor doesn't work out like it's not our what plan what do you mean x-factor just... is it gonna work out yeah. <laughs> what do you mean if it doesn't work out as a shed as a tear uh sheds down havoc's cheek it's like having a government side chick you see we we think you'll do fine but in case you don't we have these other people yeah and uh pietro is actually like kind of giving a speech sort of you know in, in defense of of humans here uh because she, she just wants to like like rain specifically like wolfsbane just wants to go after uh valerie and and she's like look you can't you can't blame them pietro's kind of taking like the human side he's like you can't blame them after all this shit like people like my father have done like and the acolytes and all, all these people they're they're going out there you know killing people in hospitals randomly so you can't really totally blame them uh for having this sort of you know this this black backup plan can we and and he's like are you saying and just as they're about to like sort of have this argument out who shows up but it is the acolytes uh so now we have a big battle big battle that goes on for several pages between the members of x factor uh as well as the acolytes um and then random is is just on their side for whatever reason now too um so before i go any further what did you just think of uh overall of the acolytes as as villains uh kind of you know surrounding magneto do you think that they they kind of complemented these stories that we're seeing them in or did you kind of feel they were i don't know i'll let you say how you felt i've always liked the acolytes more than i like the brotherhood of evil mutants and it's mainly because like i feel like these guys are a genuine threat 
to them and they don't have the somewhat weird type of camaraderie that the brotherhood of mutants had of the X-Men. It's like, yeah, they're opposing, but it's not like it's ever personal in a way. Whereas if the acolytes, it's like, you know, this is like, they're, they're, they're straight up true believers. And it's not like, Oh, we can get the X-Men to be one of us. It's like, no, the X-Men take the side of the humans. The humans are bad. We're fighting the humans. We're fighting the X-Men. So even though, and my one criticism is I always feel like the Acolytes are always kind of replaceable because there's just so many. I, I always feel like when you bring the Acolytes into a story, you're going to get a real like big fight out of it because this is genuinely people that just don't like each other. Whereas Magneto and the Brotherhood of Mutants or the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, um, you always felt, I, I, at least for me, I always felt like they were pulling their punches. Yeah, indeed. That, that is one thing I like about the Acolytes and kind of how they fit in so well uh, with Magneto. Like at first, I kind I was just thinking, oh, there's just some some new mutant followers of Magneto, but they actually do show like a lot of nuance in how Magneto interacts with the acolytes. Like, like the, he doesn't always approve of what they do. Uh, then they're kind of there's this X factor here of not not to uh, use the phrase here, but there's this X factor in there of Fabian Cortez, where he's kind of a follower of Magneto, but he kind of has his own own agenda. And uh, yeah, there, there's there's really is more depth to this group and what you're able to do with them uh, than it might seem on the surface, where they're just like this, you know, just another group of lackeys. They're, they're definitely like a lot. There's a lot, a lot more nuance than, than that. Yeah, I agree. Which is nice. Uh, but yeah, moving along, this battle is happening. Um, and uh, I don't know if I mentioned uh, a character that, that showed up a little bit ago. He, he showed up when, when they got there and they were like, oh, my God, it's Senator Robert Kelly. Remzo, what can you tell me about Senator Robert Kelly? Senator Robert Kelly is basically kind of a racist against mutants. <laughs> he constantly he, he put up the, the Mutant Registration Act, which for longtime readers, you know, that the Mutant Registration Act is later re, re, reworked to be the Superhuman Registration Act. He's also and correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, he's also like the nexus point, i.e. the big the, the big center of um, X-Men Days of Future Past because somebody goes back in time and kills Senator Kelly. And because of that, he's martyred. And it's what brings about this essentially an apocalypse for the mutants where they're hunted down, you know, like World War II scenario hunting down. Yeah, Days of Future Past. Yeah, so basically Robert Kelly is uh, what you get when your worst politician you can think of ends up saying, let's go ahead and imprison half the population. That is accurate. And so you can imagine they weren't thrilled. They're not in the best mood. Not only do they, they show up and see Robert Kelly there, but then they see that there's these sentinels there and they're probably putting everything together like this. This is not this is not looking like the deal we made here. But before they know it, they got to battle the acolytes. But uh, you know, this battle goes on for, for quite a number of pages. But w- the one part of this battle I wanted to point out uh, is pretty freaking crazy crazy you see jamie madrox um you know multiple man who has powers to make multiple versions of himself this one that creature i'm not sure his name is but uh he is literally is is put his thumbs his green scaly thumbs all the way into multiple man's eyes as he's screaming and screaming and screaming and then you see um he just i guess he just picks a bomb or something and and yeah, that's what it is. He he basically blows up this guy. Uh, this this uh, yeah, he just blows this guy up. <laughs> this one acolyte. And yeah, my note just says Majrox blew that dude up. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty crazy scene. I, I was I was not expecting to see one of the acolytes like so brutally killed in in the course of this battle. Usually in uh, a lot of these X Men battles or these big battles in any mainstream comics, you know, everyone's just getting hurt. No one's actually blowing up or dying. But do yeah. you feel that? Marvel allowed them to do not only this, but what later comes on in this story, they allowed this level of just 
plain brutality to compete with what the guys at image were doing. You got to think so. Cause this really did seem, I mean, they're only going to go so far cause they're Marvel. We're not going to see the kind of sex and violence we see like in a book like Savage Dragon or in, in like Ninja over at Valiant. Uh, but, but you got to think, you know, th- it's the nineties and this is what the market is demanding. So they're probably, we're loosening, uh, loosening the reins a little bit on, on how much they can get away with. And cause you're definitely seeing, listen guys, you can, you can gouge his eyes out. Just don't show tits. Okay. Maybe, <laughs> right. maybe, maybe some, maybe some subtle side boob, but no yeah, tits. You can, you can explode these guys and, and have their blood all over Jamie Madrox, but, uh, just don't show nipple. The hints of nips, but not the nips. Well, there's definitely hints of them. Not so yes. much in this one, but in that first run from from Jim Lee that we look back at, and, and they yeah, were there. There's, there's a lot more than hints, my friend. That's for sure. <laughs> it's like they replaced the boobs with the violence in this from from the story we looked at two years ago. Like, I'll accept that. We'll take it. We'll take the trade offs wherever we have to. Um, uh, but yeah, basically, uh, there is a point here too where uh, Wolvesbane uh, actually saves Senator Kelly from one of the acolytes. So you know, even though she was ready to go tear into Valerie a, a second ago over the whole thing with the Sentinels, yeah, they still show that they are, in fact, the heroic ones. They are willing to stand up and do the right thing, even when they are, uh, you know, saving someone they might not agree with. And she even says, "Prove me, prove me wrong, Senator, and I, I might, I just might be back to finish what frenzy started." Uh, so she's kind of like saving him, but also threatening him with same time she's like like you better not turn out to be bad now because i'm gonna come back and get you buddy um we also during this um uh, cortez and pho are having a little chat as as often happens during these these big battle scenes and basically fabian cortez offers for pho to take leadership of the acolytes um but he turns that down he's like no i'm not following magneto's path just because i'm his son doesn't mean i'm gonna go lead your freaking acolytes so so that failed spectacularly that job offer um uh, but before they know it, the uh, acolytes get teleported out and they are gone. Uh, but soon after, X Factor turns around and realizes that the Sentinels are gone too. So it appears that the acolytes have teleported the Sentinels away or taken the Sentinels or something like that. Um, we also find out that Valerie Cooper, she like she coughs this thing up, this like green thing that comes out of her mouth and then evaporates away. Uh, so it turns out that uh, Valerie Cooper was actually being controlled by this parasite thing that was inside her, too. So it, it, this is why, uh, you know, if you had been reading that, there's like six. I, I think this this story, sort of the backstory to this sort of started like five or six episodes, uh, episodes, five or six issues ago in X Factor. So and I think Valerie had been kind of acting weird since then. And we I think we actually saw saw it uh in those yeah the acolytes had implanted that into her so that's why she had been acting weirder and weirder and and had and had actually led them here to this place because she was being controlled by this weird parasite thing so ah, mind why, control that's why she was the there. greatest trope the greatest trope uh, i mean really especially in x-men remember that first run that we looked at it was like there was like seven different mind controls in one issue it was inception before inception it was absolute mind control inception so uh here we are again more mutants more mind control mind control and time travel are are two things that are just endlessly connected to x-men comics for some reason you cannot get through an x-men story without a lot of a lot of mind control and a lot of time travel we're gonna see references to both here so don't you worry um, 
Yeah, and, and this is when she's kind of explaining. She's like breaking down. She's like, "Wide Awake was never. We were never meant to. Wide Awake is this project where they had the Sentinels, I guess, still still secretly ready to go." She's like, "Look, it was just a failsafe. This wasn't, you know, just in case X Factor wasn't going to work." Um, and the, you know, and she's and then she said, "Like, look, I'm, I, I, I don't. I never meant to to have you guys see all this. I was just following orders." And uh, and obviously, just following orders was the wrong thing to say, as Pietro uh, so succinctly points out, especially as the son of a Holocaust survivor. Uh, and he says, um, "Wow!" So, and she also says, "Like, no, you guys are my friends. I, like, I really, you're, I, I'm not trying to betray you. I love you guys." And she, and he's kind of like fake quoting her, saying, "Oh, some of my best friends are mutants." Ah, Valerie, how very typical of a flat scan. So as uh, Pietro is still turning down being ma- uh, the leader of the acolytes, uh, he is showing a little sign that you know maybe he is starting to see some things their way because he used that term flat scan which is like specifically that derogatory term that the mutants use that the acolytes specifically use to uh, dehumanize humans and justify killing them uh, so what do you think of that twist there I don't know if it's really a twist but just at the end where you see Pietro is Pietro especially after kind of defending humans a little bit earlier in this issue uh, using that phrase flat scan towards Valerie I always felt, and we see it in the Ultimate comics. If you go back, you can listen to some of our Ultimate, uh, Ultimate X Men, Ultimate Spider Man reviews. Like in the Ultimate Comics universe, um, towards the end of it, anyway, Quicksilver actually turns out to be probably like one of the biggest threats to the world. I mean, think about it. a man who's faster than fast. I mean, he could be dangerous, especially when you're the son of Magneto. So, like in that universe, he basically seizes his opportunity to be the big villain. But the difference is not powers, but personality, because what I think is this Quicksilver's greatest downfall is always the fact that while he claims to be a strong individual and everything, he really does live for the acceptance and appreciation of others because he really never got that from his father. So I think the fact that he has received even a little praise took him from the path of a hero, which he had kind of been on for at least four or five years um, before this story, and it leads him back to you know, this more selfish sense of villainy that he's more often um, characterized with, despite the fact that I think now these days he's kind of like solidly in the anti-hero camp because you could stick him anywhere. And it's it's unbelievable and believable at the same time, because he's he's not confident in himself. He has no he has no self-respect. He's really he's really kind of pathetic. (laughs) Yeah, I've always liked the character of Pietro because Hey, I just, I always, I mean, yes, he's just like poor man's flash. I like his uh, sister. And, yeah, like I think, sister I think everyone likes his sister a Big lot. Big fan of his sister. Big but fan. That's neither here nor there, but <laughs> you know, there's just, there's so much you can do with this character because he started off as a villain. And even when he's been on the hero side, like you mentioned, he's never been that straightforward do-gooder hero so much as he's kind of been a reluctant hero who had to join the X-Men because in sort of a defensive way, because he feels like he has to, you know, he's not doing it to be a heroic person and he's never really, sh- I mean, there's, there's times in different stories where he shows, you know, moments of heroism, but that, that's not really his main motivation. I feel like his main motivation has always been you know defense of mutant kind and sometimes he falls on the x-men side with that sometimes he kind of sees things in more of this the same way as some villains might be and there's always a little bit of nuance uh with the character so uh that, that's something we definitely see here uh but yeah moving into x-force number 25 this one it comes to us from fabian nicieza another guy who wrote a, a whole bunch of x-men books around this time uh scott lobdell and fabian nicieza were basically the, the two x-men writers that were you know carrying much of the load at this point and art by greg capullo who is still churning out great work uh nearly 30 years later his his run with scott snyder uh was just absolutely phenomenal on batman 
Hell, man. Death ones. metal. Death metal's great. Yep. Uh, but I, to me, this is this 90s Greg Capullo, still my favorite Greg Capullo. Um, as we get into X Force number 25, I do get we do get a little team rundown here. I'm going to tell you who's who's members of this version of X Factor Cannonball, Boomer, Feral, Warpath, Richter, Shatterstar, Siren, and Sunspot. Remzo, how many of these do you think your fiance has heard of? <laughs> next question this is not a mainstream team is what i'm trying to say this is definitely not did i recruit sunspot during our x-men draft you way back have. i think i may have <laughs> you might have you're scrambling to replace uh, uh the mimic when we we we, we don't talk about that no thanks jenny yeah we don't talk about franklin richards either <laughs> Yeah, these these are just. I'm just gonna pick one. I'm gonna pick one at random just to see, just to play our little game here. Remzo, what can you tell me about Shatterstar? Uh, Shatterstar is a. I don't know if he's a twin brother, but I know I think he's like a fraternal twin of the other X Force member, Longshot. Uh, Shatterstar was held captive by Mojo and Mojo World. And they always say that he's one of the most dangerous men alive. But whenever I see him in the book, he's always getting his ass kicked. So I take that with a grain of salt. Bon Jovi. Oh, Shaft? Yeah, who do you think he stole Shaft from? From Shatterstar. Yeah, literally. From himself, though. But himself, though. He he created the character, too. He saw saw Shatterstar, and he's like, I want that. Let's change it up a bit. He's like, I I want to keep that one. I'm going to give him an arrow and take away the swords, and uh, yeah, and call him Shaft. We're going to move on. Okay, cool. Anyway, uh, we see this screen as Magneto is looking. We know it's Magneto. We can kind of tell from the back if you're paying attention, but I guess they haven't really revealed it yet. Spoiler alert. Uh, but it's very obvious about the way he's talking because they're saying, you know, should should the children be first? And he's like, and he's Magneto is saying, um, since my own children seem unattainable, then let us invite his. If the children of the Atom are willing to accept the truth that the dream is dead, the dreamer of fool, then perhaps their kin will awaken. Finally. Charles Xavier's foolish quest for a Holy Grail will be over. Uh, we then head to Camp Verde, which is um, just the, I think it's just the uh, the home of X-Force at this point. Uh, X-Force is arriving. They smell someone has arrived there, or not they, but Feral, the one character. Every team has to have the character that can, like, sniff things. Like the animal-esque character. <laughs> like, and it's, it's Wolvesbane and X-Factor. They all here. need Wolverine. Everyone needs a Wolverine. Yeah, exactly right. And and for this one, it's, it's Feral. Um, and let's see. Um, so Farrell knows someone has been there and someone is there, but she can't tell quite who. So they're they're searching the property, searching the grounds. Um, and then boom, uh, no, Cannonball is his name. Uh, he's, he finds this this uh, blueprint, this map. He's like, oh, someone else has finished off these plans I had for connecting all the bunkers here. And it wasn't me. So I don't know who came here and finished off these blueprints. And I don't know why you'd be upset about that. I'd be like excited. Like, finally, thanks. I've been working on these fucking things for months. And someone actually came in and figured it all out. But apparently they're upset. Um, also a note here uh, of what, uh, one, just one line that this is like in my, my list of like lines you can't say in 2021. Uh, but Warpath is talking to Siren and, uh, he's saying, what are your, what are your pretty blue eyes? Your pretty blue eyes seen anything yet? Innocent enough remark, but you know, you just, you can't say things like that in 2021, not to, not to a, a, not to someone on your, uh, on your day job. That's for sure. Or the government employees technically. 
Uh, X Force is not no. That only X Factor was government employees. Oh right, well, so right. Maybe, maybe that's what gives them a little more leeway. Like, like no way you're getting away with this with uh, on X Factor. Not yeah, not, you're not. You ain't talking to Valerie Cooper like that. That's yeah. sure. it's the classic comic trope of we're only seeing, and it's so obvious who it is when when you see the silhouette. But like you just keep seeing the silhouette of this whoever this guy is, and he's just like kind of taking them out. He takes them out with gas, and um, and yeah, eventually he takes all of them out, and you find out who it is, and it's. It's Cable. It's the it's the founder, the leader, uh, the former leader. Uh, before I guess he had taken off uh, somewhere in the last twenty five uh, issues. Uh, but uh, Cable is back, and uh, I just thought this was so dumb. I, I hate. I just hate when like a character who's a good guy returns, and he does it by attacking all the team members to like to test them, and then he reveals himself, and they're all supposed to be like, "Hey." Uh, that's like you know, an Arnold Schwarzenegger trope. It's like you think you kill Arnie, and then Arnie comes back to basically murder a bunch of people and save the day. That's why I love Cable. Like that's one of the things that you know, it was like when the, when other when like okay, even when like Batman does it, it's kind of stupid. But when Cable does it, it's almost like you know what? That's like his calling card. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, they're all, well, they're not all happy to see Cable, um, uh, Boomer, um, Boomer, no, Cannonball is not, is not as happy to see him, but, but Bo- Boomer is, she's, okay, she's hugging Boomer. him, she's all excited. Is, is that her name, Boomer? Yeah. There's weird names of these characters. I'm not a fan of this x They don't matter. They're, they they're don't all matter. Really lame. The only one that matters in this is, um, is Cable, basically. Oh, uh, yeah, but, but, uh, yeah, she, she even says something weird is with Cable, too, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what, because Farrell, it's not really addressed in this series, but she says, your scent is different, and he says, well, I am different, Maria. Each battle should change a man. I'm like, I don't know. That seems weird. It doesn't seem like your entire sentence had changed just from one battle, but what do I know? He started using Old Spice. <laughs> something is, and Old Spice, sponsored by cable and yeah we find out that two characters are really pissed off richter and sunspot they're about to go after cable but he's like whoa 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 hold on because they think cable killed his parents but cable stops them in their tracks and says hold on guys and he does a little recap for us like no 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 no, no. you're all confused uh so uh richter your parents were killed by us uh, uh, actually killed by strife my twin brother he took off his helmet so he looked like me so it wasn't me chill out uh and gideon uh or sunspot your parents were killed by gideon who is one of the externals uh um, and so that wasn't me either. So just don't worry about it, guys. It wasn't me. And they're like, oh, okay, got it. <laughs> like, no, no more evidence needs to be provided. To why, these Mark? Guys. Why? Why? Because, because comics. comics. These are the most because comics explanations for anything uh, right now. I didn't kill your parents. It was my twin brother. All right. We then uh, go into another uh, another big X-Men uh, type trope where we see uh, a little bit of like a training montage. We see, I think, like Richter and Shatterstar just, you know, doing some training, pretending to fight each other, yada, yada, yada. Um, we then see these two characters. I think were these were characters who were um, back as par- part of the new mutants uh, named Rusty and Skids. And uh, I guess they were actually taken out also by Strife. They, I guess they had been mind controlled by Strife. Um, Strife. Can you tell us about Strife? He's evil cable. Yes. And that's, a clone. That was much easier. That's and easy. he can control people's emotions and minds. There you go. He's evil clone of Cable. Now we actually have seen a version of Stripe on this show before when we looked at what was yeah. the name of that Deadpool? Deadpool. Yeah, he was in. Well, there was a oh, version of, of him. D- in Deadpool. The Deadpool. Uh, Noir. Deadpool. Uh, yeah, Deadpool Pulp. Pulp. Yeah. yeah. We got Colonel Stripe in that one. That. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a that's a throwback right there. 
Yeah, but this is the uh, this is the the first reference to Strife we have seen in the actual uh, you know Marvel comics main properly. canon. Yeah, and basically like they're all talking here, and Cable's like telling them more about himself. Uh, he's giving us a little origin. I'll give you I'll give you Cable's origin through his words or a partial origin because you don't get the full thing because there's always more mystery around Cable. But basically he says my original name is Nathaniel Day Dayspring, delivered to the future <laughs> to the future by a woman named Ascani and raised to be the savior for the rebellion against the Canaanite rule of the external high. Lord, whom you know in this timeline as Apocalypse. We lost the war in my future, Sam. Sam is a cannonball who's basically has become sort of the de facto leader of X-Force in uh, Cable's stead. And he said, you know, so, so I return to this timeline, which happens to be a focal point for all of history, which might never happen, to ensure that madmen like Apocalypse would never have the opportunity again to create the kind of hell that my world has become. That is the short version. Um, he, he says some more stuff about the time stream, but I'm not going to get into all that. Man, I like, I like the origin explanation in Deadpool 2 better. My name is Cable. I'm from the future. I'm here to kill a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's just much more simple, you know. So then, uh, some alarms go off, and a character shows up. And again, it is the same character that we saw show up briefly and show himself to X Factor, but then fly away. Uh, and now he does name himself. And now we do find out that his name is Exodus. And uh, Exodus is here. He knows all their names. He he knows he knows the full X Force team. So he's a real X Force fan. He knows Richter, Warpath, Shatterstar. He knows their real names. He knows that Farrell is Maria Kaya Santos. Uh, but he's very polite. He he says hello to all of them and, and introduces himself as Exodus. And uh, he's basically inviting them all to come convene with the Overlord, who is of course Magneto. Uh, but he is not greeted kindly. He he's, he immediately gets attacked by X Force because this is comics, and no one you know. You invite people to go meet with a bad guy, and they they think you have ulterior motives. Um, but uh, Cannonball basically like after a little bit of a fight, Cannonball basically decides that uh, he does want to go show up for this meeting. He wants to go along, uh, and he wants to bring along uh, the original New Mutants. He wants to bring Rusty and Skids, and uh, what what names by the way, Rusty and Skids. They were really just... like pulling from the bargain bin of code words. <laughs> they really ran out of ideas in the early nineties of what they can call call mutants. Um, but yeah, basically they're going to go up there, and so he takes off with the him and these other couple original New Mutants all take off and go up to wherever we're going to find out where magneto is in a second uh but then we also find out from cable that he actually had swapped a like tracking device onto cannonball and it's all it's all part of the plan basically god it's tropes on tropes on tropes it, it really is going through this again i'm really this is like the book of tropes here at x x4 2025 it's like they just it's like they just looked at the script for an episode of days of our lives yeah, I'll just tell you right now, like there are six issues in this. There's kind of like two that matter and there'll be the next two. The first two are kind of like, I don't know, prequels that you could get away with not reading this X Factor and the X-Force book. And then really the meat of this story is Uncanny X-Men number 304, X-Men number 25. And then we kind of get like two. I don't know. I would call the two after that, the Wolverine number 75. And man, but we've seen we've seen like better examples of filler. I mean, go look at the original Phoenix saga, at least bring back the leprechauns. <laughs> yeah, you could have brought, I would be so thrilled if they brought back the leprechauns. You kidding me? But yeah, but the, yeah, it's basically two prequels, two real episodes, two real episodes, two like main, main issues where this true, the real story is. And then two like epilogue type issues. So, um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is really a lot of filler to be honest. Uh, a lot, a lot of tropey filler in this one. So it's going to make things interesting to grade at the end for, for the entire saga here. Um, but yeah, basically they go up to space, 
And um, of course, Cable is tracking this thing the whole time. Um, Magneto is in this cloak and um, he comes out. He comes out as as basically just like immediately cures Rusty and Skids of their because they were all messed up kind of from whatever strife had done to them. And he he cures them by move, something with the iron in their blood. Why, Remzo? Because comics. Because comics, right? So they're they're cured because Magneto can manipulate iron and sun in your blood and knows how to do whatever they need to do. We then find that uh, as Cable has has taken this his little whatever his little ship is called here, he's taken it into space following Cannonball's tracker. He finds the Gray Malkin that they're actually on the Gray Malkin, which was his like ship that he had brought there in the first place. So basically, Magneto has taken this ship, the Gray Malkin, and added some extra Shi'ar technology, and that's his new base that he's uh, calling Avalon, I believe. Cable wants to blow the whole place up. Uh, at the end of the day, he's able to get into the thing, and he, he just wants to he just wants to, to blow the thing entirely. He's like, fuck it. I don't want, if I can't have it, no one can have it. I like Cable. He's like me. I mean, who needs to change hearts and minds when you're all just guts and balls? He's all about the mission, all about business, and yeah, he basically doesn't give a fuck. But Sam is the one with the conscious, and he's like, no, I'm not cool with blowing the place up. Like, there's all these people there. There's acolytes on there. Like, they're not all necessarily bad. We can't just go being like them. Blah, 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 blah. And and by the way, Rusty and Skids are staying behind, so we can't blow them up. And they're like, what the fuck? Rusty and Skids are staying behind? And he's basically like, look, everyone's got free will here. Like, I'm not going to go. If they want to stay with Magneto, I'm not going to be the one to force them to, to leave. So he's, so Cable's like, all right, whatever. And Cable just zaps them away and because that's what Cable can do. He has a, an easy teleportation power. Uh, so Cable zaps them away, but he is able to reconnect with his kind of computer program named professor uh so now from now on cable is now we'll now see like we can see like uh, captions next to cable and that's when he's talking to this like computer professor basically it's basically like a uh, tony stark's uh what's the one that lives inside tony stark in the movies jarvis Jarvis, yeah. He's basically his Jarvis. Then, so, yeah, he's talking to uh, this professor now, and he's he's zapped the rest of the team away, but he is still on the ship, so he is he has basically stayed behind because he wants to go uh, confront Magneto. Uh, so he does confront Magneto, but um, this does not really go well for Cable. In fact, it, it takes about all of two seconds for Magneto to just completely dismantle Cable because Cable is, like, half made of metal and robot shit, so he just, Magneto just completely takes him out in about two seconds. He totally dismantles, like, his robot half of his body so like one leg is destroyed one entire half of his body is destroyed uh and and cables his last words he can say are like professor body slide i pack bound so he does the the professor computer program is able to zap cable away but yeah cable was completely ineffective against magneto what do you think about how, how easily cable had his ass handed to him man it almost makes me wonder why magneto didn't go ham on people in the past like could you imagine like if magneto and actually this is funny because like there was a west coast avengers uh storyline where you had magneto fighting the west coast avengers and i remember like sitting on my deck reading that comic as a kid and they're going after magneto who's like brainwashed the scarlet witch again or some shit like that i'm just like why doesn't magneto like just close his fist and turn iron man into a can of soda yeah that would seem to be the easy thing. Yeah, like that would that would be it. And, and like even in like and I keep going to like the ultimate comics because I feel like they always answered a lot of the obvious questions that have been around for decades. It's like the, the question used to be like, can Magneto lift Thor's hammer even though he's not worthy? And the answer is yes. He, he can, and he did, and it was bad when that happened. Like, bad shit went down. So it's like I always feel like with, with this version of Magneto in the main Marvel universe, he's always been kind of neutered. Now, for this story, we're going to see him, like, 
go against that. But like for the most part, he, it's always been like he's not he's not going to do what we all think he can be capable of doing. Well, it kind of shows you how much this character uh, might have been holding back over the years. Because, again, like I said, he's kind of one of those nuanced villains. I mean, maybe maybe that's more of a testament to him. Yeah. Maybe it's that, it's that like, it's only in this. I mean, because this is where, this is the storyline where he really starts to lose it. And it's just, like, becoming more and more pure villain here. Oh, this is just uh, the appetizer where he did the cable. Yeah, exactly. So, maybe this is just a little preview of what's to come, which, of course... Remzo already kind of told you what that is, but anyway, uh, moving on. Oh yeah. But as this episode ends, this issue ends, like, you know, they're like, Oh, it's cool. You, you destroyed cable. You won. He's like, yeah, but he's still got the, the X force. He's still got those kids down there and he's still, he's the one that's going to be influencing them. Not me. So really he is one. He's won the, he may have lost the battle, but the cable's winning the war. So he's not happy about that, but he's saying, Oh, I guess I couldn't get the kids. So I'm going to go straight to the X-Men themselves next and, and try to recruit them. So that, that of course leads us right in to, uncanny x-men number 304 this one is by scott lobdell and a whole bunch of pencilers for some reason there's like five different pencilers on this book and you can really tell because like the the they're all a lot of them have very different styles but the the ones of of that are most notable i'd say would be uh jr jr john romita jr and uh and jai lee jai lee who is uh, of course blasphemed by tom king who which is why we'll never speak of him again thanks day. satan uh moving along uncanny 304 um this one starts off uh we see the acolytes and we see that they have uh learned that fabian they okay so we kind of come in hot on this one we don't we don't really see what led up to this but the acolytes are going after uh fabian cortez they're all they're all holding him they're like shooting powers at him one of them shooting her her uh, like mind powers at him or whatever and uh basically they just learned that fabian cortez uh, essentially, quote unquote, killed. Obviously, he survived. Why? Because comics. But he was actually turning against Magneto, and was why you know we, this is what we saw in X Men number three, and uh, in, in that we looked at back in uh, episode number one of this podcast. Um, so they're just finding this out now. That this whole time they've still been following Fabian Cortez, thinking that he was trying to save Magneto, when in fact he was he was basically throwing the Magneto under the bus so he could take over the acolytes and he could sort of combat mankind in his own way. Uh, so they're really pissed because in their mind they were followers of Magneto. They were not followers of of Fabian Cortez. Uh, so an ex- Exodus is also here. Uh, he's telling them the whole deal that Cortez tried to kill Magneto by leaving him on asteroid M. Uh, like I said, way back in and not way back like two years ago, I guess in, in real time in X-Men number three. Um, but basically they just, Exodus just takes them, teleports them all away. Uh, just leaving Fabian Cortez all alone. And that's all we see of Fabian Cortez. The rest of this series. Uh, what did you think of the fact that they just kind of toss him to the side here and then you never hear from him again? I mean, I know he comes back in, in various other comics, but I really thought this would be more about that dynamic or maybe more with Magneto getting revenge against Fabian Cortez. But instead, they just kind of drop the character and, and go do different stuff here. I feel like you see this whenever you see a whole list of names attached to a book. And even though people think that pencilers and artists and writers are like super separate in their roles, that's never the case. Uh, in fact, if you're a good team, it's when you work really well with each other, because I think that's an important part of the dynamic of a creative team to have a good writer and artist relationship. Um, that's why I'm typically harder on some of the people that write and draw their own stuff because they don't have like kind of check and balance. I think a lot of like a lot of people are trying to like, you know, get their ink on this, so to speak. And because of that, 
uh, a certain certain things that you think would make sense to happen next just don't kind of occur. And, you know, this kind of dropping of Fabian Cortez for the most part, it just seems like one of those things where it's like somebody somebody didn't like it. So they're going to go ahead and shoehorn some other subplots and other stuff. And maybe it's a cliffhanger, but it's really kind of sloppy writing. Yeah, they didn't even bother. They didn't even bother doing anything. They didn't give us like a, a, a you know a panel somewhere later where you see him secretly plotting or something, especially because he was the whole point. Like, I mean, Exodus is here telling them that he is the responsible for killing Magneto or so they thought he, they killed Magneto. But the fact that Magneto doesn't even think about going after him for vengeance or anything, uh, that, that seemed a little odd to me, especially for a character like Magneto. Like he wouldn't at least, you know, bring Fabian Cortez up, put him on Magneto trial or something like that. Um, pass judgment of some kind. You know, like for me, like, you know, I say like my headcanon Batman, is Batman the animated series for me for me my headcanon X-Men is X-Men the animated series and in that show like Fabian Cortez is actually like you know he's not like the scariest villain but like he's a villain who actually had like a big impact in a couple storylines especially on this adaption of like the whole Fatal Attractions Asteroid M where they kind of neutered it for like a G-rated audience but like even then it was like when I went from the TV show to reading the comics I was like this is kind of a letdown it's not his fault as a character. It's the way he's being written. Fair enough. Well, that's it for Fabian Cortez. So if you're attached to him, I apologize. You're going to have to go look up some other Fabian Cortez stories to, to get your Cortez on. Go watch one. the cartoon. It's better. Yeah. We then see Professor X staring somberly into a mirror. And who shows up? It's Lalandra. What's up with her in mirrors? She also showed up in the Phoenix saga. Uh, when Professor X was looking into a mirror, he would see Lalandra there. So I guess that that's maybe that's her thing. Maybe that's how she shows up to people. They got to be staring into a mirror first before she shows up. But yeah, Lalandra is a, uh, some kind of queen of the Shi'ar Empire. They describe her as ex- pro- Professor Charles Xavier's one true love. So I guess, the whole, <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, one true love. I guess M- Maura McTaggart, forget her. It's like a uh, Kim yeah. Kardashian marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he was with her the shortest time, but I guess he's the one true. Lo- she's the one true love. So whatever is what it is. Um, and uh, but basically, uh, at the end of the day, here this is uh, the funeral. Oh, we also see Professor X looking up something. Uh, he's looking up something called the Magneto Protocols. Um, so that's a thing. We'll find out what that is. Uh, but uh, we also see uh, that it is Ileana's funeral. Ileana is uh, also known as Magic. Um, spoiler alert: she comes back to life at some point. Why? Because comics. But this is her funeral because she had died from the legacy virus, which I believe was also related to, to strife. If, I, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Yeah. So cable has the techno organic virus, the legacy virus, uh, basically like it, it, it deteriorates you as if, if you're a mutant, right? Yeah. It, like specifically targets mutants. Yeah. Yeah. And she was also the uh, sister of Colossus. Well, well kind of like, kind of like how the, how the Spanish, she's like blankets full of smallpox to go after like the indigenous population in like the future where like shit hit the fan. They realize that, you know, it's not just good to have like sentinels go out and kill people. We're going to go ahead and introduce these new viruses, which also kill off like a good chunk of humanity in the process. We also get an interesting line here where Charles Xavier uh, basically like explains how in order to maintain his own sanity, he had to shut down and close off a large portion of his mind so that he wasn't always hearing like the pain and sorrows and secrets of like everybody in the world basically at the same time. Man, comic so, book Professor X Professor X is just such a bitch. Yeah, I've, I guess so. Like he's not he's not Patrick <laughs> well, Stewart. 
No, he's definitely not Patrick Stewart. That's for sure. Um, and definitely a uh, little bit more of a creeper than Patrick Stewart. Way his, more. His, that's not a contest. Not a contest. <laughs> not a contest at all. Um, and then we also see Magneto uh, lording over at Amal Avalon. And uh, he's kind of doing a little reminiscing about Anya, uh, who was his daughter, who was, I, I believe, killed by um, some some Nazis back in those days. We get we get kind of a little bit of a, a, a Magneto origin story here. We we see some scenes of when he like he first he had killed this like this village of people when he just lashed out uh, when he had found his daughter dead. But then these other guys uh, went and tried to hunt him down, and then that was like the first time that he had intentionally used his powers uh, to like lash out and, and harm. Other people and and kill all these dudes uh so it's kind of a little brief version of of the the origin story and then we get into now i am certain we are in the jr jr portion of this book because it's good good. (laughs) and his art is is very distinct um and then we go to a little scene which means nothing when uh, kitty pride and aurora uh storm they're just talking in the kitchen who cares doesn't matter we're gonna move on uh but they they fly out and they see that colossus is burning all his paintings i guess he was an artist and he had been painting a bunch he had you see a painting of wolverine there you see a painting of nightcrawler painting of his sister iliana but uh you know he's so depressed over her death that yeah he's he's done he doesn't want to keep these memories anymore he's uh burning all these paintings what do you think of sad morose colossus i i, I kind of like that they added this part because for the most part like for every superhero team you kind of got like the big muscular brawler type you know like the heavy and you never you never really get to develop them we really never get to know much more about them i liked it when they introduced magic and new mutants and they exposed that she was his sister because it allowed more of a, a different dynamic and play for the first time and i feel like um you know towards this part from like you know secret war in 80 you know i think it was either like 84 85 86 from like secret war um um, onward, you actually begin to see them treat Colossus like an actual person and less like the guy who just goes and punches things and breaks things and he's super big. Uh, well, moving on, Bishop and Banshee are just having a chat while they're setting up for the funeral. And basically, uh, you know, Bishop's from this future, but Banshee's like, I don't really think you're from the future, like from my future. He's like, you don't you think I'm lying? He's like, no, 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 I think you're from a future, but I don't think you're from my future because basically he's basically saying like, you know, th- this world you're describing this terrible world you came from is like a world where we've lost and lost all hope. And he's, and he's like, you know, and, and the X-Men and, you know, he's like, if, if I believe that was the face of tomorrow and the rest of us, we'd be total fools to even go on. And the X-Men, we are nigh fools. I love the way Banshee talks. You don't I'm understand my him. life. We've got leprechauns back home. <laughs> I'm going to go check on me leprechauns. <laughs> You'd like my brother, Bishop Black Tom. There was a line in there too where, where Bishop said, like, oh, it was it was rumored in my time that you were the last hope. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> really? Like, you guys Banshee must have lo- you hope? must have lowered your standards, lad. <laughs> you must have really lowered your standards for last hope if you're worried if you think me and me leprechauns are your last hope, lad. Oh, is everybody else dead? <laughs> anyway, time for the funeral. I'm really. I apologize to all my Irish and Scottish listeners. Who I don't. I'm not even sure which what that was that I just did an impression of. Give me He's back me Scottish, lucky charms. Right? <laughs> He's Scottish though, right? Doesn't but matter. <laughs> no, but I think that's what threw me off because he was. I think he's Scottish, but 
but they were leprechauns. So then that's why I'm, I think they're Irish. So Marvel doesn't either care. Way, either way, I'm offending anybody who's from either of those places. And that's what's important about, about this episode. Uh, moving on, it is funeral time. And uh, you now Storm's giving a, a speech, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of kind of standard stuff. But then uh, we see a little confrontation between uh, the X-Force people are there, by the way, too. And they they like they like casually mention these attacks uh, on Cable and, and Archangel is like, oh, uh, who exactly is responsible for this attack? And, and why do I get the feeling that I'm not going to like this? answer this doesn't make any sense to me because the x-force people are here they know that magneto they are the 100 fact they know magneto is alive they saw him and they know that he fucked up cable and they haven't told everyone like this seems like big news i mean i get it's someone's funeral and everything but you think the return of this huge villain that you think is dead the most powerful freaking villain maybe in the world really if he uses all his power they don't even mention this to anybody anyway it's all. It's not going to matter for much longer. Uh, but uh, before um, before he shows up, we see Colossus uh, get into a little confrontation with Professor X. Uh, basically, he says like, "I don't believe anything you have to say, Professor X. I spent all my life believing in you. Uh, I followed your path. Uh, you took me from my home. I followed you. My sister got involved in this, and now she's dead. All because I listened to you. So I'm pretty much done listening to you, boy. And then suddenly, who shows up in a double page spread? That this is one uh, one moment where I probably wish I had the actual book because I know this is. A double page spread they translated into one page for the digital version but magneto has showed up and uh the short of it here is he is offering sanctuary much like he did to the members of x-force he's offering sanctuary to the x-men he is saying look yeah, you've been following this Professor Xavier guy all these years. You tried it his way. Look what's happened. This this girl's dead. Uh, they they got the Sentinels back. Bad shit's happening. So come try my way. Um, but of course these these X Men are are not really having that. So you know, Magneto brought a little backup. He predicted this might happen, and uh, the Acolytes are here too. Uh, so we do get a little battle ensuing here, and uh, Magneto is saying that he is more powerful than ever too, because he is saying that when he he fell like into Earth's atmosphere and and went into contact with the electromagnetic field blah 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 short version because comics he's a lot more powerful now than, than even he used to be um but as they're discussing what happened what what had happened here and like uh there and how what the acolytes had done uh that we saw in the x-factor uh issue at the hospital killing these people uh magneto kind of takes a break and he's like oh yeah senyaka here he did that and he takes senyaka and he's saying based on everything that you the humans have done to us i actually probably would have approved of this action that he took but I didn't approve of it. This was done without me, uh, without my blessing. So he takes Senyaka and uses his powers to wrap him in his own cord. And you see this off camera, uh, off camera, so to speak, off panel. But you actually see like Jubilee is, is like trying not to throw up. They're all like horrified by what they see. So they they basically tell you that like, like he has killed Senyaka in a disgusting, bloody fashion, uh, basically off panel. So I guess they didn't want to show us all the violence, even though they have been pushing things a little bit. They That one was supposed to be so brutal that they, you know, they kept they kept us from actually seeing it. Um, yeah. So Magneto is definitely like a lot more take no prisoners than he used to be. He totally fucked up cable. Uh, he just killed this Senyaka guy just in front of everybody just because he went against an order that he said he even would have agreed with anyway um so yeah basically magneto is there doing magneto things uh everyone's kind of trying their hand at taking him out rogue t- rogue uh kisses magneto to take his power um but it doesn't do anything because he's like yeah i have so much power she's like the worst person to throw at him like th- and this is really one of those things where it's like if you don't if you don't read the comics you wouldn't know it but each time it's like it's rogue's turn to go fight magneto she's like there's only one thing i can do i gotta 
fuck him. And then it's like, yeah, you it's know, it's always a kiss. Like there's other ways to touch people, you know, like, well, it's like that time, <laughs> you that, could just take off your glove. And touch it's like, face. it's like that time they got stuck on the savage land. And it's like, I guess we've been here for two hours. I guess we have to become a couple now. And it's like, what the f- rogue? Why? And the older dudes, what can I say? She's, she's into older dudes. Like, I'm not going to judge. Um, they have a little history. Yeah. Um, and basically, uh, Magneto has been like holding them all in place while he gives his speech here um, and with his like, you know, his Magneto powers holding the iron in their blood. It's always with the iron in the blood. That's like the, the film. Such a freaking any, cop any out. <laughs> like, really I, like, don't get me wrong. Um, I like it. But it's like when you say it out loud, it's kind of dumb. Uh, basically this whole time Bishop's power even when he's being held in place his power is to absorb energy so even though he's being held there um, his power is automatic he's like this is just happening nothing I can do so he's been building up this whole energy so he's able to blast Magneto and actually like go after them which releases the the X-Men so now they're able to go do you like Bishop? I don't know I, I said yes but that might only be because you know I just liked everything in the early 90s I thought everything was cool and I did think Bishop was a really cool character like he was a very prominent character when I was reading the comics he was also really prominent in, uh, in the TV show um yeah, I guess I do. I, I can't really say anything bad about Bishop. I, I usually find time travel characters um, not my favorite, but I, I, I do actually like Bishop and I like Cable. So yeah, I, I was I was disappointed when it's like we see him in X Men uh, Days of Future Past the movie, but like they didn't you for like for five, like five seconds. seconds. It's like you know you got somebody who's really awesome. I wish I, I feel like Bishop's never really had his day. No, maybe he'll get his day in the MCU. We shall see. Moving along, Magneto. Uh, yeah, basically, so Magneto's like doing two things at once. He's battling the X-Men, but he's also holding um, like his space station, Avalon, like together. Because um, Bishop's, I don't know, somehow, however, Bishop blasted him, like whatever, comic book stuff. And he, he couldn't, he made it Magneto lose his control over the ship. Um, so right as, as Bishop is coming back at Magneto and, and while, the, while like, you know, they've got Magneto in the best spot here cause he can't battle everybody and try to hold Avalon together. But right as this is happening, we get a shocking turn. It's what's called in professional wrestling, a heel turn Remzo. It's when a character who is a good guy, a hero, so to speak, uh, maybe they're a partners with another guy and maybe the guy's going to go, maybe it's a tag team match. The guy's going to go reach, reach for the tag and the guy will yeah, maybe pull his hand away and maybe attack his own partner. And he just turned heel. That's what happened with Colossus here. He just turned bad guy. He 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 goes after, attacks um, Bishop, takes him out, uh, and everyone's like, well, "What is going on here?" And uh, basically, Professor X and Magneto they then go head to head. They're like, Mag- Mag- Professor X just had it. He's like, "I can't even believe what's happening here." He flies Magneto all the way up to the the space station. They fly all the way up to Avalon, and then Professor hurls Avalon all the way back into space. So he just like shoots it out of there. Uh, and, and, um, as Charles Xavier is falling back to earth, he is caught by, uh, caught by, um, Archangel. And, uh, that is that, but it seems that Colossus has joined the Acolytes Remzo. What did you think about the Colossus heel? You can never trust a commie. (laughs) (laughs) That pretty much sums it up. I think it's time to move on to X-Men number 25. And this is directly continuing uh, from the last uh, episode here. Another wraparound cover. This is that wraparound cover that Remzo is referencing that does show uh, Magneto like pulling, basically starting to pull the adamantium out of Wolverine. Uh, back to the writing by Fabian Nicieza, art by Andy Kubert. We start off with Nick Fury, of all people, uh, talking to the President of the United you States. You know, it's never good when Nick Fury shows up. 
No, I believe it was Bill Clinton at this time of the as the Marvel method. You never see who the president is. They just show you a silhouette and you kind of know who it's supposed to be. And they're talking to uh, Forge as well about some plan they have to uh, to counter Magneto here. Uh, they're about to initiate. I think they're about to initiate at least like a level A and B of the Magneto protocols, which turns out it is a protective electromagnetic field around Earth, and Magneto is really pissed off about this. He is extremely unhappy about these events. So he goes down, and he just overpowers that thing entirely, and basically causes uh, an an electromagnetic pulse around the Earth, and suddenly all the major cities, uh, New York City, uh, I I actually like the scene, there's one scene here where where, uh, the thing is really pissed off because he was in the middle of a shower and the power went out, so he just just comes out in a towel, all angry. Uh, I really like that. Uh, Yeah, basically they're showing us um, Los Angeles, Tokyo, the whole world has lost power essentially here um so that's a problem only the x-men i think beast is able to get power back on in the mansion using like you know shiar technology or or some such thing i think of all the people who are like on like life support and stuff like that yeah no a lot of yeah yeah that's all the air all the all the airplanes like that like fell out of the sky yeah, there really should be a lot more damage than we're seeing. Yeah, like, like that really, should a, a real pulse. That that should be something you 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 kind of look at. This should take decades to recover from. This is this is like a like a end time scenario. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this causes Professor X to gather the whole team together and uh, he, him and Cyclops have a plan. They're going to take the battle directly to Magneto and Charles Xavier is not just going to be sitting on the sidelines here. He is actually walking in an exoskeleton suit. So he is in a Shi'ar exoskeleton, uh, able to walk around, uh, of, of course, combined with his uh, sort of mental powers. So and which makes me think, why aren't you doing this all the time? Think of what could happen if that. he could have donated that technology to St. Jude's Hospital. <laughs> nope, he just had it in his closet for 20 he's years. selfish bastard. For this moment. Uh, so he's assembled these uh, this strike team that has combined people with uh, similar... Uh, he's basically teaming people with people with similar or, or attributes or what have you. So we have like basically three mini-teams here. We have Wolverine and Gambit, Jean Grey and Professor X, Quicksilver and Rogue. And this is the team that's all going to go up there together. Um, in my notes, I have Gambit update. He's still a thief with a heart of gold and he still has the hots for Rogue. <laughs> he basically just hit a... Bon temp a temp! <laughs> Mon ami. And Rogue is actually saying, because he's, he's he's basically referencing like, hey, I know you got history with Magneto here and everything, and I just saw you kiss him a minute ago, so whatever. And she's like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking when when push comes to shove here, whose side am I going to be on? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you're about to go on this mission, and you're actually not sure whose side you're going to be on when you go up there? Oh, okay, Rogue. Because you got the hots for this old, old man Magneto here. Daddy you never issues. Know what yeah, so I, I just wrote, that's troubling. She doesn't know what side she's going to be Hurry, on. hold him um, down, strip his clothes off, and grab a condom. Why, why don't we just hold him down and put him in jail? Because that's not how it works. No, it's it's, it's kind of <laughs> how it works, Rogue. You don't understand how my powers work. Yeah, you shouldn't touch people. So the X-Men uh, tell... That's an art X-Men trope. They're always able to teleport. Every X-Men can teleport. They got it, they got it with technology, or Cable can do it, or Nightcrawler can do it. Like They can just go anywhere at any time. Or now it's... Uh, what's the name of the island that lets them go anywhere? Krakoa? Um, yeah, Krakoa. You went almost an entire X-Men episode without bringing up Jonathan Hickman's run. That's impressive. Well, I think I actually referenced it in the very beginning when I mentioned the, the throuple between oh, yeah. and, and Wolverine. Yeah. yeah you can't, you can't get too far from it. Uh, but basically, it did not take long for uh, Colossus to be trusted here because he is apparently on security duty. And he says, no, there's been no retaliation from Earth. But we can see that he is he actually knows that the X-Men have showed up. So, uh, you know, he's he's clearly not he's turned heel, apparently, but he hasn't gone all bad because he's still kind of not ratting out uh, his friends that are there. Um, let's see. We see Rusty and Skids. They're just hanging out in the hallway. 
away and uh they get i don't think they get taken out uh, but yeah like quicksilver is basically just running around because he's quicksilver oh yeah no they, they do get taken out by professor x he like he basically wipes their minds and this like really shocks Jean gray she's like what are you doing you can't just like wipe people's minds how are we any better than magneto he's like look it's no big deal it's temporary i don't know if magneto's brainwashing them or if they still got the strife strife brainwashing going on i don't know if magneto's brainwashing them yeah he's just making shit up here man you cannot trust the balds you really can't the more I the more I see a Professor X, the more his his decisions are extremely questionable at all times. But anyway, he does it, and everyone moves on. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, Quicksilver basically loads a disc of something because that's how that's how these things work. You load a disc anywhere in a in a place, and it does whatever you want it to. And uh, basically, this disc somehow teleports the acolytes away. Why, Ramzo? Because comics. That's right. And um, so they're just basically left all alone uh, with Magneto, um, which was the plan. Um, so now it is uh, this this kind of strike team um, is is battling uh, the X-Men here. And uh, Jean Grey and Charles, they do a they basically do this like psi link and they end up inside of of uh, Magneto's mind after a little bit of distraction from one of Gambit's cards. So like basically Magneto is battling these these couple X-Men at the same in the real world in his physical body while he's sort of in his mind with uh, Jean Grey and Charles Xavier. Uh, Rogue goes after him again and uh, after uh, after um, yeah, Rogue goes after him after he sees that he hurts Gambit. Uh, so it's adorable. She really does like Gambit after all. Uh, in Magneto's mind, they see uh, the the the, uh, the gravesite of Doug Ramsey. Now that was a, a mutant character that died during the point of time when Magneto was the leader of the X Men. So basically, they're like showing him these memories of things to sort of upset him and mess with his mind. And again, Gene is like, "Should we be doing this stuff? Is this right?" And Charles is like, "Whatever, Gene, shut up. I, I got to do what I got to do now." Morals. A man is now. working. Um, Pietro knocks the helmet it off which is always a key move whenever you're trying to defeat magneto uh magneto then tries to kill pietro tries to kill his very own son but wolverine comes after him because that's that's a line too far for wolverine wolverine's like you don't go killing your own son that's fucked up so now wolverine goes after magneto gets him with a solid claw shot magneto is torn up and bloody and injured uh gene breaks the side link and uh because you know she's actually is a good person and is concerned. She's like, all right, we got to stop this shit. Like Magneto's like dying and bloody. Now we can't, we got to get out of his mind here. Like we've already done the, enough damage. Uh, but because she does that, it does uh, sort of uh, release Magneto to do his own thing. And he lashes out at Wolverine. And this is when he does the unthinkable and he pulls Wolverine's adamantium out of his body. And this scene is freaking awesome. It is just crazy. You see the adamantium, but it's also like, you see the bones coming out and he is just, he's just completely messed up. Everyone is horrible horrified and shocked and appalled um we know what you thought of the first time you saw this as as you uh, you know read it when you were a kid as you, you talked about earlier um but i mean this was just you kind of see it on the cover but you don't really see it you don't necessarily know what's happening the first to time. quote deadpool 2 again it's like ah you're so dark and scary are you from the dc universe <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly now this, this is this this is really like marvel pushing it um pushing the the violence level because i mean this was this is very very graphic i mean you really felt like i mean this is like oh my god you see this this guy being ripped apart this this fan favorite and you just you never expect to see someone like wolverine like basically just treated like in such a way so this was this was really huge in comics at the time could you imagine the headlines it's like holocaust survivor attacks canadian <laughs> <laughs> rips out skeleton <laughs> 
um, and then has his mind wiped by Charles Xavier. So Magneto, you know, Magneto lashes out at Wolverine, and then Charles lashes out right back at Xavier. Uh, he wipes his mind, his ego, his hatred, his nightmares, all gone. He basically makes him catatonic, and of course, Gene is, is horrified. This is it. everything that Charles is doing this whole time. One thing I didn't realize, like, well, of course, when I first read it, because it didn't happen yet, but I'm only retroactively realizing this now um, when I was kind of preparing for this, this moment where Professor X wipes Magneto's mind, this actually is the moment that creates Onslaught, who we won't see for another two years. Uh, but this is what leads to the Onslaught saga, which leads to Heroes Reborn, which leads to Heroes Return, which leads to eventually Onslaught Reborn that we reviewed just a few uh, episodes ago. So it all ties in here together. Why is this any better than just killing Magneto? It seems worse, to be honest. Yeah. I always but, felt that. Yeah, they always seem to... Professor X can justify a whole bunch of shit in the name of uh, protecting mutant kind, basically, or protecting mankind. Either one. Maybe it's good that he lost the the use of his legs. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> <laughs> It'll give him a little perspective now. Maybe it makes him a little less angry. A little less willing to wipe everyone's minds. Um, but Colossus then says, hey, look, uh, I recommend you guys leave. But, um, you know, I did call Bishop. He's going to give you a ride here. <laughs> so um, and he he did say, like, I did prevent the security systems from from, uh, you know, from seeing you guys. I didn't want you guys to to get attacked. Uh, but I feel I feel responsible for Magneto's condition because I let you guys in, basically. So he is he's now going to care for Magneto, essentially, uh, up in uh, up in Avalon here. So I guess that's the truth. They 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 mind wipe him. And, and that's enough. So um, we're going to move on to the next two issues here but uh, i just want to see what you thought of this because this really is the meat of it uh there, there's two more issues we're going to look at but I, like i said earlier these are kind of epilogue issues uh this this these last two issues that we looked at are really the meat of this story so what did you just think of the whole story of you know of of colossus kind of turning on the x-men and then them just going on this full assault upon magneto which led to so much crazy shit led to wolverine losing his skeleton and then magneto getting his mind wiped Man, this is Zack Snyder's X-Men. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is exactly what this is. Zack Snyder's X-Men. I think Yeah, I, I mean, I think this this points out like the strength of the X-Men. Like what, what I love about this compared to other ensemble books is like all the unique individuals who make up the characters, like they all really make the story move. And that's what I've always liked about the X-Men. Uh, you know, when we did the Phoenix saga, I complained about that because like for a lot of these guys, they were still trying to figure out like who the, who they are all each personality wise. So I feel like this is one of those moments where it's like, yeah, some of us can't be, some of us a little stupid, but it works in a way. So then when stuff like this happens, like you feel really like the, the emotional impact of what professor X has done to Magneto and how far Magneto has had to been pushed to get to this point where he's just he, he's a cold-blooded killer indeed uh with that being said time to move on to our what i'll call the epilogue issues uh just marvel milking more sales out of us by step slapping holographic covers and calling these part of the crossover but i digress uh, this is wolverine number 75 by written by larry hama and art by adam hubert larry hama i know him best from actually a lot of his gi joe work and uh, he did a lot of wolverine yeah i i remember those gi joe issues yeah, yeah, good stuff. Uh, I think he did a lot of Transformers too. Like he did, he did a lot of those. Uh, when those when adventures. when Marvel had the licenses for all that stuff. Yeah, I think he did a lot of the IDW stuff too. For at least for GI Joe, he came he he came back, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, this picks up right where we left off um, as the gang is flying black, back in the Blackbird uh, from this battle with Magneto. They're on the way, way back from space, and Jean Grey is just barely keeping Wolverine alive. Uh, so what do we do? 
as, as what do we always do? Again, we're going to go into somebody's mind. So Charles and Jean go into Wolverine's mind to try to, you know, basically keep him alive there. And that's where we see him battling all these villains from his past. Um, they're inside him. They, they see that they're inside him, like as he's being experimented on as weapon X. Um, but then they kind of get kind of, kicked out of that because it's time for atmospheric re-entry so the side link gets broken and i basically just wrote this is the phoenix saga all over again because they are flying in uh this is it's the exact same scenario like gene gray is trying to do everything here he's trying to hold the ship together she's trying to uh, prevent them all from dying she's also trying to hold wolverine together um it's just crazy stuff and um, w- um professor x is um oh no actually wolverine like says like arg when they're like oh my god he's awake like what so they're, they're shocked that he's conscious uh and wolver and professor x is going to give him this shot of something to kill the pain he says no charles no painkillers it hurts because my body is fixing itself i can take it i don't want to be numb because i'm going to be if i'm going to be numb forever if i buy the farm so he he just wants to feel it for what because he's a a sicko i I don't get the logic there i think i'd still want the painkiller and then also want to live but whatever that's me i'm not as bad as wolverine I don't think he's one of those guys that heal where it's like once they get injured by something, they never feel that type of pain again. I think it's for him. It's like each time it happens, it's as if it's happening for the first time all over. So I don't get it either. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a fun time, but yep. it is what it is. Uh, of course, uh, during this time, I, I also put that uh, Wolverine takes the opportunity to hit on Gene, of course, during, during this whole thing. He's like, I wish things could have been different and like, like holds her hand at one point. Oh, they will be. Now, this is absurd. <laughs> like as they're flying into the atmosphere and Gene Gray is trying to hold the plane together, Charles is apparently going to is telepathically linking with Moira McTaggart so she can walk him through the procedures to try to like put Wolverine's body back together all while they're flying through the freaking atmosphere uh, this seems insane to me and basically wolverine is is like telling charles that you know he wants him to take care of things he wants him to watch after jubilee because he's kind of got this i don't know older brother younger sister or father daughterly relationship with her you'd think that people would stop wanting to leave their kids with professor rex it just doesn't yeah. work out well this is yeah it's just the same reason you don't have batman raise your kids you know it just, uh-huh. it just doesn't work out you know? and uh gene jason turned time, out fine <laughs> <laughs> Gene has to keep the Blackbird together as Charles is helping to keep Logan alive. Um, again, Charles has to re-enter Logan's mind. I don't know why he has to do this, but he does because it gives us more pages, you know, to, to work through here. Um, it's Char- Cyclops um, also, just like me, Cyclops recognizes the scene from the Phoenix Saga. He's like, this is just like that thing all over again. And uh, Logan is then, in, in his own mind, he is then battling Magneto. And Professor X is kind of there just like as an observer helping Logan wage this inner battle against his own sort of person personal demons, his own trauma, this trauma that he just experienced. Um, he is, and then he is being chased by death in his mind as well. Uh, but then who appears in Wolverine's mind? It's Ileana. And, uh, she, she is basically the light and, uh, she's like, you know, you can, you can walk towards me if you want. He's like, I'm getting ready to go, darling. But he's like, what, what, what? And then suddenly he's, he's kind of pulled out. He, and, uh, he, I guess he wakes up because just as this is happening. Jean Grey, she's been holding the ship together. She has to go out of the ship to like hold it together. And then she's flying away. She's about to fly into wherever. Um, and then of course, who grabs her at the last minute? It is freaking Wolverine. Not only is he he's come out of the light, but he has reached out and grabbed Jean Grey's hand and pulled her back into the ship. Um, so even as his body is just completely falling apart and trying to regenerate itself, he finds the strength to come back to step away from the light, save Jean Grey. And uh, that is pretty much this whole issue, um, except that uh, we kind of have an epilogue to the epilogue here. It's two weeks later. Wolverine wants to go to the danger room. To, like, it's only been two weeks. You're not ready for this. He's like, yeah, what? 
whatever. I'm going in. Doesn't have claws anymore, though, so he's just kind of like evading these robots. He's kind of getting his ass handed to him a little bit. And then you just see, he's like, man, I may be down, but I'm still the best at what I do. And then you just, you see the the words and you see like a shocked face on Mora and, and Professor X's um, uh, on Professor X. And then as you turn the next page, you see Wolverine, he, his claws have come out and he is, his arms are just entirely bloody because it turns out this is the first time we find out he's always had the claws. The claws are part of his skeleton. So he was sick. born a mutant with these claws for this whole time. We always thought that those claws were part of the adamantium that was put into his body, but that actually was a natural part of his body and the adamantium was just covering them. And this is the first, I guess, I guess he didn't know this either, apparently, because I guess other people would have known it too, um, which that's the only part that seems weird that he didn't know that before. Well, it's, it's because he had his mind wiped so many times so like he knew it and then up until weapon x like weapon x is his big reset okay i can buy that uh and then we just get a little scene where he's just kind of chilling with jubilee and at the end of the day uh you know they have a little heart to heart and he writes a little note and he's leaving he's taking off he's taking off to find himself he's going on the road he's uh he's going into his his david carradine phase as you might say Mm -hmm. and uh, that does it for x-men number seven uh, not x-men wolverine number 75 uh kind of setting off a little bit of a new era for wolverine again uh i'll probably i might go back and read some of these issues because i i recall liking this direction for some time but what i liked when i was 14 you know might not be relevant today as we saw with certain things like maximum carnage for example yeah, I mean, he runs into, uh, you know, uh, Sabretooth and Mystique's son, uh, something Creed. I don't think it's Victor Creed. Victor Creed is Sabretooth. He, run, he runs back into uh, Vindicator from Alpha Flight. Like, he, I call this his Kung Fu phase. This is, Jer- is his James Carradine phase, or David Carradine. Which, David, which, which, David Carradine. This is David Carradine phase, where it's just like the wandering Ronin, almost. Yeah. Speaking of Ronins. Oh, yeah. Everything ties together, folks. Everything ties together, my friends. All right, we will wrap things up now with Excalibur, number 75. Again, written by Scott Labdell. He's writing like half of these books and uh, like three different pencilers. I think when they did this crossover, they had to do some scrambling with some of the art because this this is uh, penciled by Ken Lashley, Derek Robertson, and Matthew Ryan, none of which I have heard of. I don't know who any of those guys are. They're like the creative team for Battle Scars, one and done. <laughs> well, these are a bit better, though. This is a lot better, actually. They are, Even though I don't know who these guys are, they are actually decent in this in this issue. Uh, but we start off here. We start off hot as Nightcrawler is battling uh, Spore, that acolyte that we saw had been captured earlier um, by X-Factor. Yes, I get all these X-Teams confused sometimes. But uh, Phoenix and Shadowcat intervene as, as Nightcrawler is like about to kill this guy. He's, he's about to go nuts on him. He's like, he's about to lose himself. Um, but uh, we find out that apparently he had escaped during the uh, the Magneto's EM pulse. So a lot of uh, Mora McTaggart's quote-unquote patients got away and Spore, I guess, was the last one. Um, we also say, Mora is also saying that she uh, she learned her lesson about playing God. She's not going to do like, because they're like, oh, can't you do like some conversion therapy against this guy? So he's not, you know, he's not so crazy wanting to kill people anymore. He's like, no, nah, I learned my lesson with that. And she's talking about when she uh, had, uh, you know, basically baby mind make yeah, she basically manipulated like Magneto's mind when he was a baby because he became a baby because comics. You mind wipe me once, shame on you. You mind wipe, you mind wipe me twice, shame on me. He should have killed. I'm sorry. I think I understand why Magneto's killing people now. I mean, really? They turned him to a baby. They wiped his mind. This is like this messed up stuff. Yeah. It wasn't so bad before. I think it's justified. I think I think you could begin to justify it. I'm not gonna go yeah, a way. bit. <laughs> what, he did, what he did to that one acolyte was kind of cold, but you know that was pretty messed up. But yeah, she says she's learned her lesson about playing God, and I'm like, did she though? Because and you, you thought I could go a whole issue without talking about it? No, because in Jonathan Hickman's X Men, every it. time she dies, she goes back and tries to do her life again, fixing the whole timeline and trying to 
essentially play God and make everything perfect. So Moria, did you really learn the lesson? Or maybe this version of Moria learned that lesson, but then this version died and came back as another version. That version hadn't learned that lesson, except that doesn't make sense because Moria remembers every one of her lifelines. But this is before she was even a mutant or before we even knew she was a mutant. And why is it so confusing? Because Jonathan Hickman. There you go. I did mention Jonathan Hickman, Remzo. There's 27 years of comic book history in 20 seconds, folks. <laughs> anyway, Professor X and Jean Grey and uh, Cyclops show up. Why? Because they have a plan. And they think that Colossus only ditched them because of this head wound that he had suffered um, against uh, some character. I forgot who it was. But yeah, he, has, uh, he had suffered a head wound. And so they want to fix his head wound. So they want to use Kitty Pride, who he has had relations with in the past, um, which is weird because I think she's like 14 or something, or she was 14. She references being having a crush on him since she was 14. So I'm not sure how old she's supposed to be here i hope hopefully 18 at least at this point but it's not really clear um so yeah she calls him up she's kind of reluctant to do it she doesn't want to like manipulate him but they basically convince her professor x again manipulating teenagers here convinces her that they that she should help them because they're just going to try to help colossus god this is like the branch davidian (laughs) i don't know david crush had a little more respect than i think (laughs) he cheated children better i'll tell you he's a teenager better i think (laughs) The one where he defends David Koresh. That's the one. That's the one that gets canceled. I that's guess. the cold opening. Well, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, basically Exodus like agrees to. <laughs> oh man, we can go far with this one if we choose to. If we choose to go down this path. Um, <laughs> but Exodus, uh, who's kind of the de facto leader of the Acolytes here, he he tells uh, Colossus he can go, but he's, he's got just one hour. So just go and try to... He, he's saying he's going to convince Kitty Pride to go join him. And they're saying, all right, you got an hour since you have history with this girl and you've, you've kind of shown us that, that you were on our side, whatever. Um, so he goes down in his... I call this his heel outfit. Now in wrestling, as I mentioned, you know, when a, when a good guy turns into a bad guy, let's call it a heel turn. He's now... He's no longer a face. That's what they call good guys. It's like kind of the industry terms. And then the heel is the bad guy. So a lot of times when a, a, a wrestler goes, turns heel, the next week he shows up in a new outfit. You know, if he was wearing bright colors before, he might be wearing a dark outfit before to signal. Maybe he might have new music now, too, like a darker music instead of a happier music. Exactly. To signal that he's bad. So so Colossus here is wearing his, his bad guy outfit, his heel outfit here. It's like kind of this purple red um yeah, this purple red thing. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. It is what it is. And he's like these shoulder pads. Yeah, he's bad. Anyway, it indicates that he's bad. <laughs> um, we then get a scene. We see that cable. Um, well, it's very obvious that it's cable. Well, cause, well yeah, because they show us this cable. That's why it's obvious. Uh, we get a scene of cable at Camp Verde. And uh, he's kind of spying on this thing because he's got his professor. So we can see all sorts of things. And uh, he believe, he knows that Colossus is being set up. And he wants to go and take out Colossus because he just knows that you know Colossus just turned on the X-Men. Um, and apparently we get a little recap here. Like Scott is, this is kind of funny to me. Scott is asking Nightcrawler like, Hey, where's the rest of uh, Excalibur? He's like, Oh yeah, they're all gone. And we get all these explanations like Captain Britain and widget. I don't even remember who widget is. We're lost to the chronological wave, whatever that is. Uh, Cerise, he's, she's out serving the Shi'ar. Uh, Megan was apparently a character named just Megan. She's in a, she's become a catatonic water nymph. They said, uh, since Captain Britain disappears, I guess they were a thing. Uh, this character named Farron is also mindless. And the funniest one to me, I don't remember any of these characters. Kyloon, probably cause I read Excalibur probably after this book. Uh, Kyloon, they said Kyloon is searching for his parents and Micromax is weighing a job offer in the United States as a security, as a security guard. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just laugh so hard at that for some reason. The idea that this guy can't be on a superhero team because he's just interviewing at some company to work security. That's how much he hates being a mutant. We, we saw what happened when the Falcon applied for a bank loan. Yeah, well, he's got a good point. Maybe you got you to gotta think more a little more about your financial security when you're off doing superhero stuff. We also get a little scene between Jean Grey and Rachel Summers now. Rachel Summers is the phoenix here. Oh, boy, how do I do all this? Basically, Rachel future Summers... Future stuff. Yeah, future stuff. But Rachel Summers is a daughter of Jean Grey and Scott Summers from a future. Not necessarily this future, because whenever you do time travel, everything changes. So it's not this future anymore, because now she's in this in this past. But basically, they have a little heart-to-heart, and, uh, and Jean Grey ends ba- being like, yeah, when I first came back from the whole thing with the Phoenix stuff, which we're not going to recap Space the whole thing stuff. now. Space stuff. Space stuff, yes. Thank you. She's like, I was kind of shocked to find out I had a daughter from another timeline, and I'm sorry if I took that I took that out on you, but I'm cool with it now. And by the way, if you're patient, you know, you might be born soon. She's like, wait, are you thinking of? She's like, yeah, I think we're gonna. So that was a weird scene. We're just like, we might, we might give birth to you soon. Just hold out. Hope. Man, I always thought it would have been super creepy if Wolverine started hitting on Rachel. You know, you know what's coming. Jonathan Hickman's in control. These things are all in the works, I'm sure. Um, so basically, uh, yeah, then Heel Colossus shows up and he's looking angry and mean and, and all of that stuff. Uh, but he is there. He sees Kitty Pride, So, you know, he's 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 happy about that. We see Cable climbing up a cliff um, and he's all. And then he runs into Rachel uh, Phoenix, who was there. She was that was her job. She was guarding guarding the perimeter. Watch. She was watching out for the acolytes. Uh, but lo and behold, it's Cable who shows up and he's all. And she she basically says, like, oh, you can call me Rachel Summers. And she's like, Summers. And and then Professor's like Nathan, and he's like quiet. And so this is before, and she's like, "Well, why you say Summers? Like that mean that name should mean something to me." And she's like, "Well, maybe it does." And before we we find out what happened, we kind of cut scenes, and when we come back to them, they're they're fighting and everything. But the short version, well, the short version again, time travel stuff, but later we have not found this out yet. But later we find out that Nathan. His real name is actually Nathan Summers. I believe he is another child of Jean Grey and Scott Summers, only he was taken by this character, Ascani, into a far future to battle Apocalypse, and then he later traveled back in time from that future to join these X-Men, um, and where he's also running into, I guess, what is his potential sister from a potential other timeline of Rachel Summers. Everything with the Summers family is the most confusing shit ever. His every, like his dad and uncle and brother are in space. Uh, and then his, his kids are from the future. Like it's just a freaking mess. Everything well, then, then you get to the point where it's like Jean Grey isn't even technically his mom. What? <laughs> Madeline, oh, Madeline Pryor, the oh, Goblin Queen. He's a, he's a child of Madeline Pryor. Yeah, the clone. So yeah, her clone. Because so, yeah, we, there's clone we stuff. Space stuff, time travel stuff, and clone stuff all into the same origin story. Gene and Scott are a terrible couple. The universe does not want them to be together. All their kids are assholes. Yeah. Your kids, they're assholes. <laughs> anyway. Uh, he is, uh, yeah, so he's like, what's going on here? So we don't really find out what that is. Like, I think, I think he knows but he's no one else is supposed to know. And he is shocked that this person seems to know. And also is like, wait, are you my sister from another reality? So there's, there's a lot going on here. Um, but yeah, um, basically like we go back to Kitty pride and uh, Colossus, they're kind of having a heart to heart, but then he realizes he can't move and she has phased him. She's basically just stopped him from being able to move. And so they put these like clamps on him. They essentially, they essentially do forced surgery on him again. Another one of professor X is just a humanitarian plan doing forced surgery on somebody. Um, uh, meanwhile, we go back, we see that Cable and uh, and Phoenix are battling each other. 
and uh, he bar- he shoots a, a this like laser gun and buries her under these rocks. And the professor uh, character, uh, professor narrator guy, is like, you know, you're burying her, her under rocks. She's like, dude, she's the Phoenix Force. She's this condiment. She's this cosmic entity. Like, she's gonna be fine. Like, don't worry about it. And she is fine. She comes it's out. Just a flesh wound. Him. But as she's going after him, she starts to turn into what appears to be Captain Britain. She turns into like the body of Captain Britain for a moment, which is really weird. But I guess uh, we'll see this later. It's essentially, whatever happened with Captain Britain and time, he's trying to escape from this chronological wave and somehow doing it through Rachel Summers' body. Are we going to dive into this? This shit doesn't no, matter. Not. We are not going to dive into this. It certainly doesn't matter for this story. And it probably doesn't matter ever, really. Um, so continuing with the, with the main story here, though, uh, we then go see Nightcrawler, who is, uh, he's kind of also standing guard on the other side of the island, I guess, and he is confronted uh, by the acolytes who have arrived. Uh, while, while meanwhile, we have this forced surgery going on where they're basically like they're basically using Cyclops to like shoot a laser into into Colossus's head this and turn so him wrong. This is so wrong. And I mean, it is does seem to heal him, but it turns him back into his human form, and it does seem that he is sort of back to normal, so to speak. It does seem that you know whatever head injury thing he had going on had been affecting him. So they're thinking, great, it's all good. He like collapses into Kitty's arms uh, in, a, in a, a touching scene, if you will. Uh, but then the acolytes have showed up, so the X Men uh, Nightcrawler is outside battling the acolytes along uh, Cyclops. Cyclops and uh, Phoenix come to join him and you know they're basically saying you know like look Colossus came here in good faith he should be allowed to leave if he if he wants to uh, that's what one of the acolytes is saying and then from from off screen you see a voice it says I feel the same way and it's Colossus and even though even though he has been cured and no longer has his head injury, he still wants to go back and stay with the accolades because he really think while he doesn't agree with their methods, uh, he does feel a, still a responsibility and he feels that maybe he can be a good influence on him. So despite the fact that he has been maybe, and maybe because they don't perform forced surgery on him. So that's, that's nice. Um, <laughs> so despite the fact that he has seemingly been healed from this head wound, uh, he is going to go back and live with the accolades. And uh, that's pretty much it. We do get like another little epilogue thing where, uh, Cyclops is talking to Nightcrawler. He's like, so, uh, what about X-Factor? Are you guys going to go back to, or Excalibur? Are you guys going to go back to England? He's like, no, I think we're going to start a new team and stay here on, uh, on Moore Island with Moore and McTaggart. So now the new X Excalibur is going to be Nightcrawler, Rachel Summers, Phoenix, Kitty Pride, and whatever new characters they add that we're not going to talk about today going forward. But, uh, that ends it for this issue of Excalibur. That ends it for Fatal Attractions. Let's just dive right in. It's kind of hard to judge a crossover like this with so many different artists and writers and everything. But to me, the main meat is those two in the story. And these are, you know, like the, the kind of the first two issues and the last two are kind of, you know, they're kind of secondary to the whole thing. But um, like that, that main story, I would call like, you know, uh, the X uncanny 304 and X-Men Tumor 25. But judge however you like, Remzo, take it away. Uh, I usually grade things by two factors. This is good for longtime readers. And is this good for new readers? Uh, I think it kind of fails at both, especially with the fact that we're dealing with one event that loosely ties multiple different titles together. Uh, it's still interesting, though, and it carries a lot of that 90s nostalgia I have. I do think that the writing for certain characters throughout the X-Men titles um, specifically were, were just kind of weak. And really, it's that 
uh, it's a story of Magneto and what he eventually does to Wolverine. That really matters. Everything else that comes after that though. Um, I mean, it, it just, it just kind of flails to, to stay connected and actually make us wonder why this all really happened. I'm, I'm giving it a 2.5 for story. I do think that the, that the pencil work and the coloring and the inking was actually pretty good throughout. Well, I wish it had been, you know, like maybe one title and everything else. I mean, you're dealing with a, with a large creative team collaboration. I think they all actually did pretty good. I'm going to give the, the art a three. So I'm going to give this whole thing a what, 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 two point. I'm sorry. I'm going to give a 5.5. 5. 5.5. 5. Wow. All right. All right. All right. All right. Now, as always, I think this is always the case. Not always the case because sometimes I read stuff that I loved when I was a kid and I, it, I'm appalled by how bad it is. Like that was the case with Maximum Carnage. Uh, this one, I would say... I'm probably not going to be as harsh as you. Uh, let, let's start with the the story itself. Um, it, again, it's hard to judge a full story like this. Like I thought the X-Force issue was probably the worst one. There's just a lot of tropey bullshit in there with, you know, the stuff with Cable, like taking up 10 pages of him attacking the team when he's just coming to rejoin them. Uh, like there's definitely fa- flaws I can find in some of it. Um, like the, the Excalibur issue is I kind of could have done without that whole thing. Um, but overall, uh, taking like the meat of the story, taking those two issues of uh, Uncanny 304 and X-Men 25, like that, it's just so epic to me, just that actual battle itself um, that I really did enjoy. Um, so I, I'm not, I can't give it as low a score as you did on the writing. Um, it, it doesn't deserve it's not one of the best stories of all time, but overall, and I think most of the writing was just, it really just was two writers, ultimately Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nicieza. And I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a fairly coherent story overall and has a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of good dialogue in here. And I, I kind of glossed over some of that because I can't just recap all the dialogue. We'd be here for five hours, but there's a lot of good dialogue. Uh, there's a lot of good, like, you know, kind of that waxing philosophical between Magneto and Professor X, uh, Pietro, Colossus. There's there's a lot of depth to this stuff, to these conversations. So I'm going to give the writing a three and a half. I, I actually think I, I like the storytelling a lot more than you do here. Um, and then the, the art, I will say. I'll, my I'll, my problem we'll, was with the storytelling. My problem was with the the characterizations yeah so, and so how i think you, that and was also your your method of judgment you know yeah it's a little more specific than mine i just kind of go with you know how i felt about it essentially but i agree yeah for newer for newer readers this would be more difficult for sure without the second print recap uh guiding you along the way there's a lot to take in here for sure i mean there's so much history being referenced like if you didn't know anything about these characters this this would definitely be a lot harder to follow so like, people are nothing that, without us yeah on that standard this is why you need spc this is why we are here for you, my friends. So you don't need to go read 30 years of comics and just go listen to us for a couple hours and you're set. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna give the writing a 3.5. And yeah, like you, I thought the writing, the the art, even when it switched to some other artists that I wasn't as familiar with, uh, it stayed pretty consistent overall. Um, and you know, some of the issues were, were just great. I think, I mean, the work of Greg Capullo, I think was awesome. Um, so yeah, I think the art was fairly consistent overall. I'm, I'm going to give the art a three and a half as well. So I'm going to give this a seven overall, which I guess it's not a huge gap, but it's one of our bigger gaps. I th- I'd say um, it's, yeah. it's about, it's about average overall for a total score of 12.5 out of 20. You should know it. You should know about it. Yeah. 12.5 out of 20. Um, certainly not terrible. Um, not, it's definitely not a, it's not a must read by any, by any means. I would never call this one of the greatest stories of all time, but it certainly does have a historic, uh, moment. I mean that, that moment where Wolverine, uh, gets his adamantium. I mean, that is, it's a very famous comic book moment. One that I'm upset. We've never seen in a movie. I hope that gets corrected at some point. Cause that would just be an awesome moment. In a yeah. Movie. But don't, uh, doesn't it feel wrong that it wasn't with Hugh Jackman. Maybe it still can be. Maybe. I don't know, man. 
We've got a multiverse of madness coming up. Who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, I, I, it would be hard for me to see anybody as Wolverine at, at this point. That wasn't Hugh Jackman. That's what's going to be interesting to see how they do it. Yeah. They might just bring back Hugh Jackman. I know he said he was done, but who knows? You know? he, he just wants to go through his musical stage. Just let him let, let him sing a show tune as well. Maybe he wants to do that. That uh, <laughs> We were having a call with uh, one of our uh, our patrons on our, our monthly Journey in the Mystery call, and our, our patron Jacob brought up a series I'd never read. Maybe we'll go back and look at it. But apparently there's a series where Wolverine actually becomes a hairdresser. <laughs> at some, at some oh, point. Wolverine, the best, uh, the, the the best, uh, the best of best the, there ever was. Be, like be, best of what? That's Brett the Hitman. Best at what know. he does, something like that. <laughs> best there is. Yeah. So yeah. maybe Hugh Jackman will be hairdresser Wolverine in a future MCU film. We shall see. Um, but that about does it. Uh, I would say, yeah, I would say check it out if you like X Men stuff. I, that's what I would say. But if you don't, yeah, you could you could take it or leave it. At least know Either what. Way. At least know what happened. Like this. This is one of the most uh, frequently, other than this and like the Phoenix saga. This is like the most reoccurringly like cited stories in X Men lore. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, this gets referenced all the time. I mean, it, definitely. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and that about does it this week uh, for me, Remzo. You got anything else? Hey, folks. You've got Loki recaps coming out later this week. We've got more Remzo rants and the recommended reading list that fans demanded coming out starting July because I had to move so I couldn't put it in June, but it's coming July. So all this and more. Second uh, Secondprintcomics.com and for all the bonus content, Patreon.com/slash SecondprintPod. All right. Well. That being said, there's only one thing to ask people to do, and that is to read comics and change the world. Good night, America. Adios. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.